Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. We're talking all things gravel for our new seven-part podcast series here on Bike Radar, hosted by yours truly, Catherine Moore. From getting kitted out with the best gear for you to route planning, dipping your toes into gravel racing and simply why we love hitting the path less travelled, we've got a mega panel of special guests and in-house experts lined up for you. So to wrap up our seven-part podcast series on all things gravel, we thought we'd cast our minds into the future and whip out the crystal ball. So much has happened in the last five years, or even in just the last 12 months, and it's pretty exciting to think about how gravel can change and continue to progress in the years to come. We've called on the thoughts of industry professionals to racers, riders and event organisers alike to give you a pretty broad range of ideas about where we might be headed. I'm joined by Bike Radar's own gravel guru, Jack Luke, today as we chat through what these wonderful folk have to say. Welcome, Jack. How are you doing? I'm very well, Catherine. I'm looking forward to peering into my uh, gravel crystal ball and uh, (laughs) considering what the future of the sport holds. Excellent. Well, I think we ought to kick off with um, two of our guests from last week, Amanda Nauman and Dalila Lecky, because we asked them at the end of our racing episode what they thought the future of gravel would be. And as you'd expect, it was sort of on a more racing focus. So here's what they had to say. I think the beauty of the discipline is that it is so unique. And when the UCI decided to get involved and when Belgian Walfleurie decided to make a series, Lifetime made a series, it seemed like there were all of these people that wanted to sort of define what gravel wanted to be in the US, let's say. And everybody got a little nervous, like, oh man, this is going to, we're going to have rules and it's going to be too structured and we're going to focus on racing. But I really think that the discipline is going to be okay. And the reason why we all fell in love with 
gravel in the first place was because of the adventure side of it and feeling like we were exploring new places. And no matter what, that's not going away. So while I think that, like I said, the UCI coming in was where everybody's like, oh, take a deep breath and like figure out what they were going to do. The UCI can still do their series and do whatever they want. And the people who want to race, that can be their thing. And that is, I think, what is awesome about Gravel is that there can be so many different facets of it and you can jump into wherever you see fit and whatever means something to you. So if you're just getting into it, that means doing adventure rides and exploring and maybe doing some of the lower distance events that that is still there for you. Like the racing and all of that stuff that people got so nervous about and the structure isn't really going to influence how people experience it. So no matter what, if racing becomes a little bit more focused in the media, that doesn't matter because for 95% of the rest of people who are enjoying the discipline as it is just riding, that's going to stay the same. And we just need to keep telling those stories and have people come into it and have fun doing it. And it'll be just fine 10 years from now. Yeah, I think we all have sort of rolled our eyes a little bit, didn't we? Well, it's probably close to a year ago now when Mm. the UCI announced that they were going to be getting involved in gravel racing. And, you know, we've spent decades looking at the, uh, the impacts that the sort of rules and Mm-hmm. guidelines have had on road racing and slightly fearful about how that would uh, translate to gravel. But I think Amanda's right there. You know, I don't think anything's going to change overnight for the majority of people. No, absolutely riding bikes. not. Yeah. And I think uh, the point about um, how it's represented in the media is a really important one to uh, to kind of bear in mind. Because of course, you know, it's an exciting change and an exciting thing for us from a, a media perspective to be like, look, you know, UCI, the biggest body going, is, is taking a serious interest in this. But just because it's reflected in our coverage, as Amanda says, doesn't mean that the uh, the rest of the sport will be neglected. So a very balanced and I think very, very fair view and one I would align myself with. Yeah, absolutely. Delilah had much to say in agreement with that as well. So, I mean, I totally agree with Amanda. Um, like I remember when the UCI first um, announced that they were getting into gravel and people were like losing their minds thinking that the UCI is going to come in and just ruin everything. And I suppose, yeah, like that's, that's not going to happen. Like there's always going to be like these little events that we have now. They're, they're not suddenly going to like jump on the UCI bandwagon and suddenly these events are not going to be open to us. They're always going to be like these grassroots events um, that people want to go and it'll still be, I mean, you know, the fact that there are all these massive UCI races on the road and mountain biking, that that doesn't stop people from having like local road races, local crits, local enduros, like any of it. Like we already have like sort of smaller local stuff. UCI getting involved isn't going to take that away. But what I have been noticing over the past year or so is like more of a buildup of non-race, but like really really ultra distance events um so sort of rallies um where it's just about getting to the end um so it will be like this epic distance but the point is to get there it's not who gets there first um it's not about like destroying yourself and not seeing the scenery and not appreciating the route it's about the journey i see that happening more and more and i think that's going to continue to grow quite a lot yeah absolutely i'm a big fan of the non-competitive rally i don't know about you jack um yes i think the the closest equivalent i've done to anything like that would have been the jeroboam a few years ago which was by name a race but really more of a nice trundle uh and i loved it it was fantastic fun and 
yeah, I'll be curious to see what kind of like think like so you know people who have done any odd axing or randonneuring were sort of rolling their eyes and going, well, there's nothing new. That's the whole point of these. But I think from like let's call it like an organised event, something like. Uh, Brother in the Wild here in the UK, mm. that's probably a good example. I'll be curious to see in that organized, structured event side of things, how things grow there. Because, of course, there will always be, yeah, odd axes, basically. Gravel odd axes. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but for the sort of, like, experience-led events, I think there's a real gap to to do more of that kind of stuff. Because it's like a festival, isn't it? Festival, you get yeah. to go ride your bike and uh, drink booze in a tent. Sounds bloody great. Yeah, and like I know there's been a massive proliferation of women specific events mm. or um women non-binary events that have typically been non-competitive. And I've always been amazed by how many guys afterwards come up to me and were like, I wish there was something like this for dudes as well. Like mm. not everybody wants to be racing or doing something competitive all the time. And there's, yep. you know, also been quite a few new clubs that are just embracing people who just want to be out there for the fun of it rather than sort of racing or being competitive. So, yeah, definitely space there to grow, which is really exciting. Nice. So next up, we have JP McCarthy, who is the Road Product Manager at SRAM. Hi, Catherine. Thanks for the question and for the opportunity to discuss the future of gravel. I'm JP McCarthy, Road Product Manager at SRAM. I'll start by saying that the most exciting thing about the future of gravel is just more gravel bikes. There's plenty of folks riding skinny, tired, race replica bikes, that would be much happier on a gravel bike. A bike with the geometry, the tires, the brakes, the gearing, uh, all of that that's better suited to the roads and trails that are most enjoyable. It's exciting to think about riders being on a better bike, suited for the way they ride and, more importantly, for the way they want to ride. And it's about gravel bikes that'll make them more comfortable and capable, along with simplifying the ride experience. You know, fewer decisions while riding, just having more fun. In terms of technology, there's so much great technology already out there, and riders can ex expect to see refinements and proliferation of these technology. I'm talking about one by, you know, it's a simpler, quieter, more secure drivetrain that has all the range of a two by drivetrain and sometimes more with a much simpler shift progression. And you know, you expect to see more suspension, suspension that makes it, that makes a faster bike on rough surfaces and dropper posts, of course, especially for riders crossing over from mountain bike. The appeal of these technology that are frankly borrowed from mountain bikes is that they make a faster bike on more challenging surfaces and terrains. I think that's a, uh, an interesting res response um, and... Yeah, you know, I think it generally reflects trends in the uh, the industry as a whole and things we're seeing released. You know, the sort of uh, the Newshound Journal and me was slightly disappointed it didn't let slip about any new products coming from <laughs> SRAM. Um, but it very much fits within their sort of, uh, yeah, their last kind of recent products. And I think some of the stuff, you know, people tend to roll their eyes a little bit about the mountain bikeification of gravel bikes where they do just move a little bit closer towards road bike sorry towards mountain bikes rather um and the the line becomes a little uh less distinct between the two but i don't think he's wrong in saying that those are the kind of bikes that most people really want to um to ride it's got an interesting piece not related to gravel but it was a orbea uh, e-bike that went up today uh, earlier last week rather um 
and they'd done some sort of research amongst their uh, their riders and people that buy their bikes. And it's quite stark that how many people really just want like a fun, pleasant bike that's not really designed for, you know, shredding the gnar. It's just about having a competent, pleasant bike that's good in lots and lots of areas. And I think the sort of gnarlier mountain bike, sorry, gnarlier gravel bike is probably going to fulfill that role for many, many riders. So yeah, I don't disagree. I like it, but I just wish you told me what was coming from SRAM next. <laughs> Spoiled the surprise. I just thought it was, you know, a really good reminder on the one by stuff that a lot of people might be coming into gravel as their first cycling experience. And I don't know about you, you've probably been cycling um, for so long that you don't remember your very, very early days. But mm. I started on a road bike in my early 20s, um, having only sort of ridden for utility before that. And of course, cross training was definitely a thing that I had to get used to <laughs> and get my head around that. And I remember the first time that I rode a gravel bike with one bike, I was just amazed at how simple it was. Yeah. And I thought, wow, I wish this had been around when I first started cycling because that's just one less thing. There's so much to take on when it's all brand new, just one less thing to think about. And I have to admit, when I do go back to riding on the road with a double chain set now, I'm always <laughs> a little bit rusty to start with and I had to get back into the swing of things. So just more bikes that are suitable for more people. I think if you just mm-hmm. ignore in your mind the word gravel, um, because, you know, you see a huge number of gravel bikes now being sold as commuter bikes or yep. touring bikes, bike pack, you know, all, it covers all these different bases, utility bikes, um, just because of those sturdier tires, more simple gear setups, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I would definitely agree with JP on that front. Absolutely. Got another angle now coming up from Matt Leak, who is the road brand manager at Canyon. Hey, guys, this is Matt Leak from Canyon. I'm road brand manager for the company uh, with a focus on gravel, which is a pretty dynamic and uh, ever-evolving section of our portfolio, which is really exciting. Another point is just that uh, the kind of migration between, obviously, well, both ways, really. So migration from road riders who get into gravel and like use gravel as a kind of gateway to then getting into mountain biking as they kind of realize they perhaps hit their limits on a gravel bike. And then I um, recognize that, you know, sort of have have this penny dropping moment that like perhaps, you know, a mountain bike will offer more, um, much more control and more fun on, on the train that I'm riding on. But also the other way around. Um, so uh, very much migration of mountain bikers who, you know, perhaps, you know, don't always have dream trails literally on their doorstep. They've perhaps got to get into the car and um, and drive for half an hour to get to trails. A gravel bike, you know, you can 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 obviously cover more ground. Um, get around a little bit more easily and um, have a bit more fun just on just from the doorstep too. I definitely agree with that uh, migration or as I've put it before sort of gravel acting as a bit of a gateway drug between mm. road and mountain biking. I'm I'm definitely in that in that category and I think XC bikes whether that was linked to the the popularization of gravel bikes or not but they're particularly sexy at the moment. I think <laughs> I see quite a few of my previously road faring friends making the the transition across to sort of lightweight mountain bikes. Is that something that you've seen, Jack? Yeah, I think personally, speaking personally, I um, I really only ever did mountain bike for the very, very longest time. Uh, and I did get into road riding more when I was at uni. And then when I moved to Bristol, where I am now, um, I did bring a mountain bike with me, but I'm a big baby and I don't drive. Um, and I got pretty bored pretty quickly of how 
limiting that was in terms of like there's some fantastic mountain biking around Bristol. There really genuinely is. But there is so many times there's only so many times I can smash up and down the off-piste trails at Lee Woods before I <laughs> go cross-eyed with boredom. So I think like for me these days and where I am in particular, yeah, like a gravel bike definitely um takes up that space that was formerly occupied in my heart by a mountain bike and it is true we do need i think that sort of goes back to my other point on the orbea where like it's easy to forget that not everyone's in the same position as us out driving out to go smash about gnarly trails in hidden spots a lot of people just want to be away from traffic and having a nice ride in a quiet place and for them a gravel bike may well do it When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, absolutely. Matt made another comment about geometry as well that I think was quite fascinating. One really interesting area that I think is um, still, yeah, very, very fast moving at the moment is, is geometry. Um, so there are a lot of brand, some brands out there doing doing some fairly wacky things with geometry, which is really cool to see um, see people sort of pushing the envelope a bit and sort of testing the limits. Um, some examples out there perhaps go a bit too far, but it's good to have them out there just to see where the kind of sweet spot is. A bit like in mountain biking where we const- it's, it's constantly evolving. Some people will push it a bit far and then it will sort of like settle down and then some, someone will push it again and then it will settle down. I think geometry is a really kind of key area um, that we'll see see evolving in gravel in the next uh, next few years because road bike geometry has typically, you know, it's remained fairly static. You know, there's 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 a kind of formula that works. You can apply it to in terms of the handling. Uh, you can apply it across all your all your road bikes or just sort of tweak it minorly. But really, taking a bike off road, um, especially when you're sort of getting into more technical terrain, there's there's some interesting inspiration you can take from the mountain bike world um, and apply to to gravel bikes too. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I wish he'd said who he thought that was taking things too far <laughs> with geometry. I mean, you know, you look at something like the Evil Bikes Chamois Hangar or whatever, it, however it's pronounced. Yeah, you know, definitely that is a, the one that sprung to mind for me as yeah, well. <laughs> it's pretty wacky, far out, very long, slack, essentially mountain bike with drop bars. Like, yes, of course, that is at the extreme end of things. Um, but yeah, I guess for sort of mainstream brands like Canyon they'll be watching those kind of developments closely. Um, gravel itself, you one could argue, was sort of popularised at the fringes by smaller brands, and now everyone's taken it um, sort of very much to the mainstream. And I have no doubt they do pay close attention to how these things are received across the media. I do think, uh, you know, credit where it's due, Canyon aren't exactly afraid of releasing pretty far out stuff. We only need to look at the hover bar there. 
So I hope his comments there are sort of hint of more unusual things to come. Oh, that would be exciting, wouldn't it? Yeah, I was quite stoked when they released that. I've ridden it myself and I wasn't a huge fan, but just the fact that they were daring enough to to go yeah. out and do something so bold and different was really exciting. I tell you, it was a good week for headlines on bike radars. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very, very busy week for me. Um, yes, fond memories. <laughs> Brilliant. Now we're going to hear from the Steezy Collective. So we've got Kitty, Alice, Powell, Freddie and Taylor in on this one. And if you hear little chinks of China... That's because they're having a tea party and we got to listen in on their conversation, which is wow. fantastic. Thank you, Steezy. <laughs> I think it's gonna I think it's becoming more serious, but um people are gonna start resenting that because for me gravel's like proper chill vibes, off road, have a bit of fun, ride any bike you like. Yeah, it doesn't give me proper racing vibes. Though. Yet. Yeah, not not this what at Dirty River was quite Racy, yeah. Like it, it felt quite racy, you know, especially at the start where mm. everyone's just. It that changes vibes of events. Yeah. yeah. When I first started doing Grinduro in twenty eighteen, it was very like it was for fun and it was mm. all about like having fun on your bike. I don't think anyone noticed the podium. Yeah. Then twenty nineteen, it got a bit more serious, and then twenty twenty one, there were like pro cyclists there. It's such, such a different vibe. I think the future of gravel is it's just going to turn into another part of the UCI British cycling machine where <clears throat> everything's an official race, which is sad because it's so much fun. Are there UCI gravel things yet? That's what that thing at Ford Forest was, the King's Cup. It was the British yeah, gravel yeah. challenge. It was also the um, April Fool's Day that North London Dirt did where they were like, we're UCI. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Wait, but the North London Dirt that we're going to do is not a joke. It was April Fool's But there were a lot of pros at Battle on the Beach, which I guess isn't gravel, but it kind of is. But there's a nice future of gravel, which is like the non-competitive side where a lot of people who were previously intimidated to ride on the road, especially after all the angry drivers in the pandemic, they can now ride outside. And there's that movement that, I can't remember what it's called, where it's like um, reclaiming space and it's like people going on private land, but like using the past and being like, why can't I ride on here? Yeah, I, I also it. feel like there's like a lot of people I talk, I talk to and like they go on a road bike but they don't really like road bikes. <laughs> like, they prefer going off-road, but they don't really know about the gravel thing. And I think, like, I always think, like, that it, for me it's the same, right? So I go on road bikes because I have my friends going on the road bikes, but, like, I don't really enjoy it so much, especially long distance on the road. It's like, I just prefer going on gravel off-road. It's easy gravel extravaganzas with picnics in the woods <laughs> or where it's at. <laughs> so definitely shots fired at the UCI UC, <laughs> the racification of gravel there but um, yeah I definitely agree that there is this like beautiful future where people are just getting into riding for the fun of it and you know perhaps it would be a much better experience for a lot of people riding off roads um, mm. and we just sort of have a part of a role to educate people and that that is a possibility and you know where to look and what sorts of equipment you might need, etc. 
Yeah, I think the um, the the take on sort of pros showing up to races is quite interesting. I guess something like Grinduro, more like a a lifestyle gravel event. Um, <laughs> I, I guess it's like who can influence the hardest rather than sort of uh, <laughs> rather than the competitive side of things. I think Battle on the Beach and the Reaver, like fair enough, is like a, a, a big day out and a kind of more established racing format. Um, but I can't foresee a future where less pros show up to more lifestyle events i think the competitive side it's a bit of attitude isn't it really i think you mm. and i Catherine, i don't wish to uh to paint you with the same no, brush as me but, <laughs> but our, our racing ambitions are perhaps more limited and the taking part is more important absolutely um and you know i, I don't People want to go smash themselves to bits around races by all means. It doesn't stop me enjoying time trials on the road just because I know I'm going to come solidly in the mid pack. <laughs> <laughs> now, next we've got James Heaton from WTB or Wilderness Trail Bikes. And I think his answer, having listened to it already, a little sneaky preview, is quite interesting because it's quite the opposite. I guess my answer is fueled by what we're already seeing, but also what I'd like to see happen. I'm a big fan of road racing. I love the show, the drama, the story that goes with it all. So I find it pretty cool that over the last few years, more and more World Tour teams have started to release their riders to take part in different disciplines away from the usual road racing calendar. I think the amount of media attention that that brings with it will only be good for whichever discipline they decide to take part in. And because of that, I think you might see race organisers start to tailor their races to help attract those bigger teams. So I think we're going to see more of that with more big road teams getting involved to help shine a spotlight on gravel racing. And we'll see more and more grassroots level races pop up because of it. Well, calmly spoken, for a man who is very notable for being pretty rowdy on his Instagram, he's such a calm <laughs> character, James. He's a good bloody rider. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Love the accent. I, oh, very calming. <laughs> No, I think that's a a very positive way of looking at it. You know, mm. we will, um, like something like Lachlan Morton's, um, what was it called? The Alt Tour last year where mm, we followed the... Really uh, cool. Yeah, really cool. I know it's not in the strictest sense of the word, a gravel event, but nonetheless, r- releasing riders, in James's words, to do more interesting gravel events. I think, great, you know, pro cycling is a, a sort of industry which desperately needs to think of new ways to make money and be profitable and the sponsorship model is still going to be the way that that's done and if you're getting your product or riders rather in front of different people yeah great why not and probably a good thing for the sport as a whole if we do see more investment um in like lower tier races for the lack of a better phrase yeah um, and it's fun as a punter isn't it like when we were at Grand Jura mm. Wales this year Seeing Ella Connolly and Martha Gill racing on the same track, like oh, that's God, just really yeah, cool. Yeah. Very, Slightly very cool. Yes, <laughs> starstruck and uh, them absolutely just crushed, crushing <laughs> the the descents. Yes, very entertaining. Uh, no, good take from the young James. I like it. Yeah, yeah, interesting one. And again, quite a different answer from Louis Van Cleef, um, who does events. Who's UK activation manager. Uh, at Rafa, again, looking at those sorts of events. Hi, my name is Louis Van Cleef. I am Rafa's UK Activation Manager and the Rally Director for the Rafa Pennine Rally. Um, 
So when asked about kind of the future of gravel, um, I actually think that the future of gravel lies in the fact that it doesn't have as much of a past as some of the other sectors of the cycling world. Um, Road cycling, for example, even mountain biking are ultimately concerned with their own histories and their histories have been pretty monocultural. You know, road cycling has a glory day in European racing and kind of funnels up into racing which I actually don't think is very useful in terms of broadening the appeal of it as both like a sport, but also as a an activity, a hobby, something that you can just be good at or enjoy, even if you're not good at it. Um, and I think that that's where gravel in the future really has a lot of opportunities for multiplicity. Don't get me wrong. I love the sharp end. I love the kind of bikepacking races. I love ultra distance. I love the crazy, ridiculous challenges that people put themselves through. But really what I want to see as as, as it develops is um, almost a return to that ethos of touring. You know, the adventure that is doable by everyone. So long as you've kind of got the bike and the grit to go out and do it. Um, I think that is part has to be part of the appeal. Um, I don't. I hope that it doesn't become more performance orientated. Um, obviously, there are opportunities to test oneself, and there is a market for that. But what I really want is an explosion of those local routes, those local explorations, ways to cross a country, ways to just get around Bristol, ways to be in nature with your bike um, under your own steam and to realise how powerful you are ultimately Um, and I hope that we can create a culture that allows for that um, without some of the kind of elitism that has been built into other sections of the sport. A man after our own hearts I think there. (laughs) Yes, clearly. I like the, the words fil- touring and being out in nature. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a rather philo- philosophical outlook and one that I, yeah, I could definitely align myself with. Though, if I were to put my cheeky hat on, I would say, well, of course that came from Rafa. <laughs> but no, uh, very good. And I, I, yeah, I, I really, um, I really agree. I think the, we, we've perhaps been in this podcast a bit focused on sort of the competitive events side and a lot of the answers have been but of course that's a a very uh, myopic view of how people ride bikes because in reality most people are just noodling around in the woods and uh yeah gravel gravel riding is a good vehicle to do that perhaps but perhaps the the job of places like bike radar or brands like Rafa who are quite involved in the media space, sort of pushing that narrative and encouraging people to view it in a less competitive or performance based way would be a really good thing, a positive thing. Yeah. And I think it was really interesting what Louis said there at the start about the fact that gravel doesn't have this history and heritage and it's not bound by that because we've got this opportunity to create something as we see fit for the 21st century um which can be different and you know has already i think proven to be very different to the sort of history of road cycling road racing and it being very much centered on uh on racing as it as it were um louis organizes the rafa pennine rally which is um one of those non-competitive events um 
Is that um, one you've ridden? Did you I've ridden that? part of the route. It follows yes. a lot of the Second City Divide route, which is absolutely awesome, would recommend. Um, I know quite a few people, including Dalila and Kitty from Steezy Collective, who rode it last year and it looked absolutely incredible. And I think the second edition, uh, by the time this podcast comes out, will maybe be on at the mm. same time. But definitely a cool one to follow. And yeah, I think just a super empowering experience for people. Um, that might not have taken on something of that level before. Yeah, a real diversity of terrain as well across and lots mm. of amazing northern treats like pies and good pastries. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So moving back um, to racing again, actually, we're hearing from specialised Ian Carter. Hi there. My name's Ian Carter and I am the resident gravel nerd at Specialised UK. I think there's a few different strands to the future of gravel racing. One of those, no doubt, will be the rise of gravel racing in a very traditional sense. Events like the King's Cup, where it will be attracting crit racers, ex-row pros. Um, but I think the real growth really is going to be in self-supported racing and, and challenges. Um, events akin to, to GB Duro. I think uh, GB Duro obviously gained a hell of a lot of popularity um, from Lachlan Morton and that really great um, documentary piece that Rafa and EF Energy did um, when Lachlan took on the first edition of the event. But what you're seeing now is more and more of those events popping up. And I think the attraction of those events for a lot of people is that they can be either a challenge or they can be a race. And that might sound like a strange distinction, but... For a lot of people, setting out just to finish an event like GB Duro or a, you know, a smaller, more sprint distance event, something like one of the Great British Escapades, finishing one of those can be a huge challenge for someone, particularly if you work full-time, you have family or other commitments, which means you can't take two weeks off of your work or away from your family um, to go and do a huge race like GB Duro. And I think that's the appeal for a lot of gravel riders is that challenge it doesn't have to be challenge in the sense of being hyper competitive and, and looking to get on a podium it can just be the finishing of an epic event and an epic challenge and we're seeing more and more of those kind of self-supported events um, popping up there's a few new ones uh, on the cards this year we've got the inaugural um, Dorset Divide that's happening in July you know, real small events, maybe only 30, 40 entrants, completely self-supported, low entry fees, um, and the kind of thing that people can fit around their jobs and other commitments. And I think for a lot of gravel riders, that's super appealing to be able to go and challenge themselves, ride someone they've never ridden before, get out of their comfort zone, but equally not have to take your entire holiday allowance to be able to do it. Bless Ian, he messaged me after sending the clip over saying that even in their fabulous new uh, offices in Specialised UK, he was recording in a cupboard. So nah. <laughs> if that sounded a bit strange, that's why. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's really interesting because the ultra scene has just boomed, hasn't it, over mm. recent years? Yeah, totally. Um, and I'm very glad to see those sort of shorter... Ian calls them sprint events. I'm yeah. not sure... <laughs> <laughs> just how sprinty they would be but yeah much more achievable for you know the everyday person yeah i had two thoughts off that my um 
First off, I thought Dorset Divide did tickle me. The, the Divide kind of name originally came <laughs> yeah. from the, the Continental Divide, which is a thing uh, in the States or North America, rather. And, uh, you know, the, the, the... What's the race called? I can't remember. Tour Divide? Yeah, the Tour Divide. The Tour Divide. That's terrible. I can't remember. Is where that kind of divide name comes from. And it just makes me laugh that rather humble events, Dorset is not exactly the biggest <laughs> county in the world, gets the divide uh, moniker. But anyway, yeah. um, but I really like these, you know, I think there's always going to be a place for like, let's call them gravel sportives, where people do want to do a sort of supported ride and do want to have feed stations and all that kind of stuff. But the, yeah, the, the kind of organised, self-supported um, format clearly has legs because people love them. Um, a good friend of mine, a guy called Stu Allen who works for Shand Bikes. He was he put together the Badger Divide, which is a uh, a really nice uh, ride from Inverness down to Glasgow in Scotland. And he just recently um, uh, ran basically that. It was like a mass start ride along it. And the idea was like just go whatever pace you want, riding groups, whatever. And he said it was really good. But for next time he does it, probably next year, he's going to do a mass finish, which mm. I thought was a really nice uh, format. And there's, I yeah. can't remember what it was, but another event. Second City gonna... Divide do that. They yes. say the mass finish will be at such and such brewery mm. in Manchester on this date. And then you start either a week before or two days before, depending yeah. on how fast you think you'll be able to do it in. <laughs> I really like that. Just a really vibey, fun yeah. way to kind of organise a ride where like... You know, of course, these events or rather these routes are always open to do whenever you please. But if you're a social being, then it's a lovely way to sort of uh, enjoy a collective effort. Mm. And I'm sure everyone who's done something like this will be nodding along when I say quite often you get to the end of these things, which is often the goal is just completing it. And you get to the end and it's massive anticlimax because mm. then all of a sudden you're this sweaty grim muddy being absolutely knackered in the middle of a city somewhere you haven't seen anyone in days trying to get your bike onto a train don't get me started on that and oh, it's, I'm getting sorry. like a meal deal or something i uh <laughs> literally just, just bef before recording this podcast i i've just booked some trains to go visit my family uh back home and uh, midway through the podcast i've just got a text from cross country's train saying sorry jack the um the train that you've tried to book your bike onto actually no longer runs as of the new timetable. And it's like, why did it, why can I book it? Uh, so yes, sharing the collective grief that is train travel with bikes in the UK with other uh, attendees of an event is probably a good thing. Yeah, do you know what? The future of gravel, in the UK at least, I don't know if any other countries share our gripes. If I was very optimistic, the future would be, don't they have it in Scotland? Amazing whole carriages. Yes, they for do. Hanging up bikes. Of course the they do. Scotland, like. Catherine. It's a utopia. <laughs> um, yes, they do. In a handful of services, the rest of the UK is not so well served. If you're a uh, two wheeled adventurer, hopefully we'll get there. I've got another clip from Ian as well about community that I thought was very nice. I'll just play that one now. I think the community aspect of, of gravel riding is something where you're seeing some. Uh, amazing growth and some amazing things happening and I'm really excited for the future of the scene because gravel is a very broad term and for every race you know or event that's popping up with you know lots of excitement and people getting involved there seems to be five grassroots groups just popping up out of nowhere and creating the scene that, that they want to see I think a lot of these groups personally I find really inspirational with what they're doing 
to move forward cycling culture, which really has been pretty stagnant for quite a long time. Um, I've really got a shout out the the New Forest uh, Off-Road Club. They're a women, non-binary-led group down in New Forest, and they're really redefining what a club can look like within the gravel scene. And their success is inspiring others to create the kind of club that they want to see around them. And you don't really see the same kind of groundswell and growth and and inspiration happening in the road scene or the mountain bike scene or the traditional club scene. Um, And the variety of people who are part of the New Forest Off-Road Club, Lakes Gravel Gang, all these other kind of groups which are popping up, um, is really breathing a breath of fresh air into (laughs) what is a pretty stagnant sport in terms of um, participation, gender representation, and... I'm really excited for for what that groundswell is going to create in the future. I think that's a really good point and something that has been really striking over the last year and hopefully will continue to grow. There has been so many inclusive cycling groups popping up across the UK. And last summer, when I was taking part in the Commute Torino Nice rally, women's rally, um, I didn't realise it was so unique to the UK because I had um, one of my fellow riders from France come up and say, you know, how amazing they had thought it had been looking as an outsider uh, into the UK scene. So I'm hoping that's something that will go international as well. Mm, yeah, definitely. I'm a, I've am i never been a huge club cyclist. I think uh, clubs in general, regardless of whether they're cycling, always raise my hackles because they involve rules and regulations. Uh and I think the the spirit of these new ones is so far removed from that that um, if I was uh, someone getting into riding right now, I'd feel a lot less intimidated by the the whole scene because it is just so much more welcoming and inclusive. And that really goes for everybody. Yeah. And I think, you know, even just down to Nick, who's one of the founders of the New Forest Off-Road Club, saying about how... You don't have to wear bike-specific clothing for cycling. And, you know, some of the best photos of her are wearing like a Lizzo jumper, (laughs) living her best life on a trail somewhere in trainers. You know, like there's so many rules and, you know, so much dogma uh, in road cycling or in other forms of cycling, perhaps. It's just quite nice um, in gravel that, you know, it's a bit more alternative in that sense. Of course. Um, And like, you know... People will always be interested in riding their bikes fast. It's, it'd be um, it would be uh, foolish to suggest otherwise. I think the difference is that for those starting out in riding, or people who are just less confident, or those who simply aren't interested in going fast, it's a much nicer environment to uh, make friends in and uh, to begin to enjoy cycling. You are completely right. It is dogma, and it's um, it's boring. <laughs> yeah, it gets a bit tiresome after a while. <laughs> So we're going to wrap up with James Bracey, um, uh, who's from Telfin. Where do we see the future of gravel? Well, that's a really difficult question because, to be honest, it's got so many different facets that seeing it going in one direction is obviously too difficult to answer. But in my opinion, and also us as Telfin, what we are definitely seeing more of is more and more people are turning towards ultra-endurance racing, especially off-road challenges and in the UK this is something that we're now seeing way more events than we did even last year or the year before so definitely that is a huge area of growth 
Um, gravel racing as well, in terms of like the Fast and Furious Unbound style. Um, I don't see it taking off as much in the UK purely because we don't have that sort of environment and the logistics to put it on. Uh, it's quite difficult, really. You know, it's we we just don't have the ability to do that. I don't think to that extent. One of the other aspects I think we're going to see is much, much more inclusivity and especially in terms of age and really a bit like cyclocross becoming more of a family affair, really. And that's something that I am pretty excited about. And from us as Telfin, obviously, in terms of bike technology, we're seeing a lot more integration and I think what we're going to find is that there's going to be a lot more focus on things like aerodynamics. And for a lot of people, it's going to be the functionality of the parts that they use. It's, it's becoming a little bit less about fashion in a lot of cases, not just about riding what you've brought, but it's all about choosing the right stuff for the right job. And I think, yep, that's one of the definite, definite growth areas of gravel less fashion jack do you think you can cope with that absolutely not it's the only reason i got into gravel riding <laughs> um uh, yeah obviously you know tailfin are, are invested in the um idea of endurance racing it's, it's kind of aligns with their product but my goodness if you had to um summarize a trend across all of our respondees it would have to be the the kind of enthusiasm of or enthusiasm for this type of riding yeah, definitely. And I can see why. And it's it's really fascinating, I think, because it's such a sort of homegrown niche almost. Like you look at Dot Watcher, um, mm. which is a website where you can follow along uh, different races for various sizes. Um, I think that was pioneered by Apadura, Um Yes, I think they sp- they I think they sponsored it for the yeah. first while. I can't remember who it was who founded it, but I do remember they sponsored it for a while. And it's literally just people at home watching on their computer screens and commenting and writing stories about the riders using things from their social media so you can actually follow along with these races, which when you compare it to like the traditional sort of road racing for example or uh, it's just completely incomparable to that or to watching downhill on your TV or something and it's it feels so personal and I think, uh, you know, if you know a, a good number of cyclists in your local area, perhaps you will know one or two people that are doing these sorts of things and it's so much fun to follow along online and, you know, cheer them on how you can and that sort of thing. So that's definitely a big growth area. I loved what James said about gravel being a real family affair and open and encouraging to people of all ages. That's something that I've really noticed with a few events, Gritfest being one of them, which is put on by Matt Page. It's the same um, organisation as Battle on the Beach. And yeah, there's like family, it's a, like a weekend festival almost. Um, family activities for your husband or your wife and the kids. Um, <laughs> and, you know, real good sort of like camping. And, you know, it doesn't have to just be you taking time out of the family or, or whatever. Um, yeah, you can it. imagine bringing your family along to uh, something like Grinduro, but perhaps uh, the Fred Witten Sportive, maybe yeah. not. So it's not quite <laughs> as a fun an environment for for kids. But yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I agree. Like, um, it's just less threatening overall, and for less confident cyclists, 
being off-road and away from traffic is a really key thing. You know, it's the thing that puts most people off is traffic, let alone in a sort of, in in inverted com- uh, quote marks, you know, a competitive environment. Um, it's going to be a lot less scary yeah. if there's no cars about too. I met a girl called Emma at Brother in the Wild last year. She was, I think, 11 or 12. Incredible. She was there with her dad riding. More than keeping up with the rest of us telling Mm. me about how she wants to go off and do the Tour Divide and the Hope 1000. And I was just there like, wow. Firstly, I couldn't imagine having that level of confidence at that age. Fantastic. (laughs) That was just amazing. And, you know, yeah, just so great that she has loads of role models around, you know, loads of female cyclists, which we weren't all sort of... didn't Exposed to. Yeah, yeah, lucky enough to have. So, yeah, I just thought that was wicked and... It bodes very well for the next generation. So that's very exciting. Yes, it does. So now that we've had all of our VIPs answers, <laughs> what <laughs> what are your thoughts, Jack, having listened to all wow, of those? Wow, I can't believe I've been lumped into the non-VIP category. That's very <laughs> hurtful, Catherine. Home talent, then. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I, will put, I will have two hats on. I will have my tech hat on first, given this is bike radar after all. I think the future of gravel will see increasing specificity, as I've said several times in previous podcasts, where, you know, like Cynic's hat, there'll be more scent specificity because people want to sell us more bikes for increasingly niche purposes. I think gravel race bikes with a trend of 2021. Let's see what 2022 brings, maybe suspension, mountain bike, mountain bikeification. It's probably a bit early to call out any trends in the year. Um, and that will probably, or rather hopefully, bring some really interesting new tech. I kind of touched on it there with Canyon, but um, from uh, Bike Radar's perspective, it's great to have lots of new shiny tech to talk about. It's exciting. People like looking at nice new bikes. It's fun. But for riders, it's, you know, in time going to be a good thing. Um, the phrase trickle down is used way, way, way too often in many contexts <laughs> in life. But it is true. It is true of cycling that generally speaking, the kind of good stuff you see on the very toppest end, newest, newest bikes will eventually make its way down to more affordable levels within, you know, four or five years. And I think like good gravel specific group sets that are quiet and efficient off road while also providing ample range, yes, you know, that please. was something that, would, <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that was something that either involved a great deal of money being spelt, spent uh, or a big bodge. Um, being required not that long ago. Uh, like I remember when I got into gravel riding, I wanted a wide range um, one or two by drivetrain and it involved like bar end shifters and old nine speed components because it was basically what <laughs> you could do. Um, which I know it's not exactly like woe is me. It's not the greatest issue in the world, but nonetheless, like it's just not required anymore. Um, and then Thinking from an events perspective, I will say that while I definitely, like, I have no doubt that these unsupported events will continue to grow in popularity and we'll see more and more of them pop up, more brands supporting them, more hype around them. I do think there is going to be space as well for, as we described earlier, sort of um, festival atmosphere gravel events, sort of riding events which don't really have a competitive focus but are supported because whether that's kit time confidence experience you know there's a lot of barriers to doing those um more involved unsupported events 
And I think for uh, many, many riders, there'll, there'll be great appeal in going and just having a nice time on your bike in a very fun, friendly atmosphere with like-minded people. Um, it's slightly off track, but we've had a few invites to events similar to that um, in Europe as well as sort of worldwide. And uh, I think, or hope were rather that in the UK, that's somewhat replicated. Basically, Grinjuro with uh, more riding and more people. I think that'd be great. Yeah. How nice. about you, Catherine? Well, there's, there's... We will put you in the VIP list, by the oh, way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I think there's like a negative side that I think a few people have sort of mentioned, which I won't dwell on too much, but I do see the commercialization of bike packing sort of being a bit inevitable as something that used to be quite sort of homegrown and low budget. Um, but I guess, yeah, like I say, that's sort of inevitable with any of these sorts of things. Does involve, you know, the progression of really nice kit, uh, which we have to be grateful for, things that are actually waterproof and lightweight, <laughs> which is quite nice. Um, but on the positive side, like I think we'll just see more everyday people who don't necessarily identify as cyclists finding their way into bikes through gravel. I think the way things are going in terms of world trends, where we're going to have to be less reliant on motor vehicles and, you know, rely more on public transport and active transport to get around, um, then I think the gravel make, bike makes perfect sense for something that can you know, be, be used not only for commuting and, you know, for getting your shopping with a big rack on or something like that, but also for leisure. Um, and I think with more and more of these sorts of festivals that really highlight experience over competitivity or racing and, and real family inclusive atmosphere, then that should really help to get more of the sort of general everyday public into riding bikes. Um, that is very broad, I know, but... Um, no, 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 that's fine. Yeah, and <laughs> hopefully a proliferation of really fun cycling kit that's technical that doesn't look like cycling kit, please. Love <laughs> that's it. my personal plea. I've just, <laughs> Coming back to I've fashion. Just I'm going to be reviewing a set of bright yellow shorts with a white terrazzo jersey suit and very much cut out of the gravel mould. It's very fantastic. new, Catherine. Yeah. I look forward to seeing those. <laughs> as long as it's not white shorts with a yellow jersey, we'll be fine. No, 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 no. no. That would be a bold choice for gravel. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, that would be uh, quite something. Well, fabulous. Thank you very much, Jack, for today. Thanks to all of our contributors. And thank you for tuning in to our All Things Gravel series here on Bike Radar. Do let us know what you thought with a review on our podcast app. That really helps us out. And do subscribe if you haven't already. Until next time, ciao. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. Bye.